Welcome, everybody, to the BTOsports.com RacerX podcast presented by Fox Race. And this is Mathis doing this podcast uh, with Ross Maeda from KYB slash Enzo Suspension. You know, there's a lot of people in the pits that um, are pretty smart. And uh, they're also not scared to uh, tell you that they're super smart and that they and only they have the solutions to whatever ails a rider's performance. And, I mean, whatever. There's lots of guys like that. And like I said, there's lots of plenty of smart guys. But let me tell you, there isn't too many people in the pits. There aren't too many people in the pits that are smarter than Ross Maeda. He's been around for a long time. One of the best suspension guys out there. And Ross is uh, also not scared to say, yeah, I don't really know. Or, you know, whatever this rider wants and stuff. And, and Or I tried that and I couldn't figure it out. Uh, no ego with Ross Maeda. None whatsoever. Uh, a, a, a brilliant guy. And uh, I've been around, been around a long time, done a lot of things. And I love his attitude. He's, he's never changed from the first time I met him when I was a privateer and he was doing some suspension for us um, and to when I became a factory Yamaha guy and he was still around a lot because we ran KYB suspension. Always a guy to make a joke and laugh and never take himself or the sport too seriously. But all the while, meantime, in the back, just uh, one of the key guys in the sport through all the different transitional years of great riders. He's been there in the background providing support, providing information, helping bikes work better. And, of course, he's grown his business, a uh, hugely successful business, suspension business, Enzo Racing, the whole time. This is my third or fourth podcast with Ross. Check out the archives for the other ones where he gets a little more into his backstory of growing up, uh, what he did, uh, uh, how he became a fan, how he became uh, who he is, and all that. This is a little bit more current events podcast. But if you like it, check the archives because, like I said, this is our third or fourth one with Roscoe and uh, – he has uh, some great stories from before. So I got all the time in the world for a guy like Ross. Love talking to him whenever I see him. Always uh, stop to chat and uh, make some jokes. Pick his brain uh, about suspension and what's going on in the pits. And I've got so much information from him over the years that it's helped me with my columns or podcasts or shows. Because he's not a guy to, to really bullshit you or, or, or make something up or, or not tell you because of some big state secret. He, uh, if he can't tell you something, he uh, he says, "Hey, I can't really get into it because you know whatever." And uh, yeah, just a, just a great guy. And so uh, I wanted to call him up and get the his take on a few different topics. And um, here it is, Ross Maeda podcast. Thanks for listening. Support our sponsors. Oh, by the way, uh, I know this is all about Ross Maeda and Enzo suspension, but also to Race Tech. There's a Race Tech commercial in the middle of this. Save yourself on some suspension work from Race Tech, or just go to Enzo. I don't know. I'm so conflicted right now. I don't know what to say. Thanks to Ross. Thanks to Racetech. Thanks to BTO Sports. Thanks to Fox. Thanks to RacerX. Most of all, thanks to you guys. All right. See you around. A Pulp MX Network production. Pulp MX fans, we're 550 plus shows and counting thanks to your support of our sponsors. Get the Pulp MX app for iOS and Android today. Save money with discount code PULPMX at BTOsports.com and click the Amazon banner on PULPMX.com for all other online purchases. It's the BTOsports.com Steve Mathis Show, presented by Fox Racing on RacerXOnline.com. The original Moto Podcast, featuring legends of the past, stars of today, season previews and race reviews 
introspection, opinion, facts, and laughs. Here's your host, Steve Mathis. Welcome to the BTOsports.com RacerX podcast presented by Fox Racing. BTOsports.com. Use the code PulpMX when you're checking out to save yourself money. Brand new website, mobile phone friendly, great international shipping rates. Use the code PulpMX, like I said, to check out and save yourself money if you're going to buy some suspension parts. Because after talking to this man on the phone, you're going to want to dive into your suspension. Also, Foxhead.com. Fox Racing, the global innovation leader in racewear. Kenny Rocks and Ryan Dungey wearing Fox, and they present this podcast to you. So thanks to the folks at Fox Racing. Check out your local dealer and uh, get the latest on Fox Racing. All right. I'm Steve Mathis, of course, as usual. With me on the line, a guy I think I've done two or three of these with already, but um, I had some uh, some burning questions lately in the last few weeks, and I had to had to get on the bat phone and, and call uh, perhaps one of the smartest guys in the pits, one of the nicest guys also. Uh, he is uh, Enzo Suspension's Ross Maeda, NKYB, by the way. What's up, Ross? How are you? Hi. Hi, Steve. Thanks for doing this. Appreciate it. No problem. No uh, problem. Um, how are things? How's business? How's how's the business at Enzo Racing? How's that how's that going? Uh it's it's good. Uh something we were talking about just the other day was that um I think with the the state of of uh bike sales recently, um we're getting a, a large amount of customers that are keeping their old bikes and just upgrading them mm-hmm. and spending money on rather than buying brand new bikes every year like they may have done in the past right so you know we get we get new bikes and we get older bikes that guys have decided to keep another year and spending money on upgrade materials and stuff mm-hmm. like that well that's good then right good good business then. yeah yeah um, for sure it's good uh I don't know if you know this or not, but Race Tech uh, is in, is does a lot with me with a lot of my shows. Uh, Paul Thee down there, and the Race Tech guys have been great for me, and so we have a discount code for Race Tech. But one of the things I talk about, and of course you're a competitor down there at Enzo, but one of the things I talk about before I talk about Enzo is that I bet, and I change my percentage all the time, Ross, but usually it's in the eighty percent. I bet you there's eighty percent of the people out there do not have the, the have not changed their suspension oil. Uh, you know, in the last little while, they have worn out bushings or seals. They're, they're, they have the incorrect spring rate for their weight or speed. Um, you name it. Uh, the guys, guys mistreat their suspension, don't they? They kind of don't really think about it until they have to. Um, well, yeah, for sure. You know, there's um, people talk about the magazines talk about how good uh, the the production components are now on the production bikes and stuff, but that does not mean that you shouldn't maintain your suspension mm-hmm. uh, any more than keeping an eye on your, your motor uh, piston clearance and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So suspension components wear out, and uh, keeping fresh oil and fresh bushings and, and whatnot in the, in the component is very, very uh, important to main, keep a maintenance schedule on them as well as, um, you know, setting your suspension up doesn't have to mean calling a place up and, and spending millions of dollars on, on revalving and everything. Really, the most important thing to do is get the proper uh, spring rates for your weight. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I tell people I, if they want to do it in steps and they're, 
they're, they don't have much experience or they don't feel that they're very savvy with the suspension, I tell them, well, the first thing to do is, is make sure you have the correct spring rate for your weight because mm-hmm. the other uh, element of the suspension, which is damping, I mean, you have a lot of adjustment for that. And uh, the, the stock valve settings could very well um, be, you know, Mm-hmm. good and you have a lot of adjustment there so they would be fine but if you're heavier than the the intended weight for that particular model the the factories have set it up with a spring rate that's for a guy that weighs one 150 or something and you might weigh 200 so you you need to spring it properly for your weight and then from there it's just when you know, as long as you have the proper spring rate, you mm-hmm. can play with the adjustments and stuff and very possibly dial it in good enough for, for what you need it for. Yeah, it's scary how many people don't really think about that or maybe don't even adjust their sag. You know what I mean? It's well, just... I think they don't know. You know, a right. lot of it is, is just education and, and knowing that. Because uh, one of the, you know, it's like, you mentioned it in America, we have that a lot. But when I've, in the past, I've traveled to some other countries in particular, I used to go to Brazil a lot. Mm-hmm. And even the top riders there, you know, they would, I'd tell them, you need to get stiffer springs because you're heavier, you're light, you know, right. lighter springs. And they're like, no, no, I don't want to spend money on <laughs> springs. And I go, that's. That's <laughs> really critical. Yeah, yeah, that's that's like saying I want boots. Don't matter what size they are. <laughs> no, it, right. it matters. So, right, right. You know, so it, it's it's amazing how uneducated uh, a lot of people in the sport are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no doubt about it. Before we get too deep into this thing, so I I rebuilt a 1990 KX250 a little while ago, right? Um, mm-hmm. Now I'm working on an 88 YZ250. So I've been looking at these vintage bike forums, right? And and you can get lost in those things. And there's works parts available on those things. It's really scary how many people have works parts for all sorts of bikes. Here's my question for you, though. One, I found an Olean shock for an 88 YZ250. The guy wants 200 bucks for it. Now, it would look cool because it's Olean's, but does it really? is it really that much of a difference back then? Um, well, uh, an Olean's being an, an aftermarket component, it has some upgraded uh, features to it, like it has a steel shock body, which is heavy and in in modern uh, technology or, you know, mm-hmm. state-of-the-art stuff, uh, hard anodized aluminum is better. But Olean's believes that... Um, the steel body uh, durability is outweighs the weight savings and and heat dissipation of the aluminum body. So if you're talking about an 88 that has 20 years of juice on it (laughs) with the stock shock, and then even in, in, uh, uh, if you took the Olin shock and it had 20 years of use on it, if, probably would be in better shape than the, the production one. But um, really, the even the stock components in 88 were were pretty good. Right. But, um, okay. you know, I'm sure there would be some things to be gained, but it's, it's also kind of like 
pudding, you know, if you could probably fit retrofit some 2014 forks to fit it, but do you really want to do that on a bike? <laughs> right. Well, that leads me that leads, leads me to my next question. I also found triple clamps and a set of white power 4054 upside down forks. Do I need these, Ross? Do I need these? No. No. <laughs> that, see, that's the other thing about the whole uh, vintage bike. Um, Phenomenon? <laughs> well, you know, the thing is, I remember being called up by some vintage bike people that were all excited about it. And they invited me to race an event years ago, and, you know, I didn't want it. I said, you know, these bikes, they're fun to look at and study because coming from that era when i see those things you know it takes me to a place from the past <laughs> right right stuff but it's like that's all well, to me it's like look at them that's it don't ride them <laughs> you know it, it's kind of like yeah you can up, you can rebuild it and and uh bring it back up to stock um condition or something like that but to actually ride it is I don't know, you know, I mean, you, you risk breaking it and having to start all over. And, uh, I mean, if you want a taste of the technology from that era, you know, fine, do it. Right, but, right. You know, as far as updating those bikes, it's kind of silly. Those 40 my opinion. Those and, and purists would probably say it's not really, you yeah. know, yeah. something you really want to do. Uh, you're crushing my dreams here. I thought those four, <laughs> I thought those forty fifty four forks would be the answer. Oh um, wow, man, those were like something out of the space age when they came out. It was like something radical, uh, you know. Uh, yeah, but uh, <laughs> you know, it was like it, it's kind of like I remember I had an eighty one RM one twenty five that I thought was the best bike I ever rode. Mm-hmm. And I thought the power and everything, the torque and everything was just unbelievable. And it had never been duplicated for years to come. And then I rode one <laughs> 30 years later or something. And I thought, oh, this is horrible. <laughs> this but, sucks. You know, but right. you, you remember things. And for the time, it, it had way more low end for a 125 than virtually anything else out there. But mm-hmm. You know, there weren't power valve bikes back then or something. So right. you, know, you kind of have to, like I said, they're they're fun to look at and study mm-hmm. and see, you know, what the technology was at at the time. But, you know, to try to, like, make it as good as a modern bike is kind of a waste of time. <laughs> um, hey, I've never, at the risk of sounding like the old guy, who says he walked up to school both uphill both ways, you know? I don't want to sound like that, but Ross, I've never been more now look, I, I, I'm not even a quarter as smart as you, okay? I'm not I'm I'm serious. You're you're a genius, so help me out here, because I'm just sort of a parts changer guy that now has a microphone. But I've never been more frustrated in the pits walking around talking to these guys in twenty fifteen and them telling me that their setup was off. Their setup, they worked on their setup, and they went in the wrong direction. They got to go to the another direction, and the bike was off, and they were fighting it, and the setup was good last week, and now the setup is bad, and the setup has left them, and 
the setup. Is this riders or mechanics? This is this is riders. This is riders. Um, okay, well, that to me is I know what you're talking about, but for them to say that, they have to add. I chose the wrong setup. <laughs> they don't often do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and it's like, well, wait a minute. It's like the mechanic isn't just going. I think you need two more clicks of compression. And not tell you and just do it. <laughs> right. I mean, right. they do that if the rider says it needs to be stiffer, and he, he, he takes them to that setting. Do based you, on uh, his feedback, and then when mm-hmm. race is all said and done, it's like. No, we were off. Right. We were off. It's always we were off when <laughs> they were off. When they were on, it was like I was on. You know? <laughs> I chose the perfect right. setting. So, you well, know, I mean, you know as well as I do what that, but that do all you, comes to. Do you agree with me? Like, it seems like these guys, and I'm not, again, I don't want to sound like I walked uphill to school both ways, and, and Bob Hanna used to chew on nails and all this kind of shit, but... It does it not. Well, is it there, not? Yeah. It possibly could hold some water because back in those days, they didn't have as many options. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. You know, it wasn't like put these triple clamps with half a millimeter more offset on it. You know, it's like mm-hmm. they were stuck with it. And but also the the, the thing that I've always felt that um, when you get to the race and and guys are completely changing everything between practice and the first moto uh, that that tells me they didn't do they didn't do their homework right you know it's mm-hmm. like the really in the big picture that there's a lot of that going on still but that's mostly just to, to please the rider because they have the resources to do it but really i mean motocross is still you know, what do they say? It changes all the time, but 90% rider, 10% machine. Right. And it's kind of like you just set something up that you're comfortable with, or even if you're not comfortable with it, at least you know what it's going to do. Mm-hmm. And show us how much talent you got. Yeah. It was, you know, I remember back when we were still doing a lot of development, and I, I was working with with Bob Hanna and, and we were, the bike was way off and, and we were trying a bunch of stuff with suspension, but it became pretty apparent uh, to me that improving where we were wasn't something you could do with the suspension setting. Mm-hmm. And he was definitely not happy with it. And <laughs> right. he had, you know, everything we did was wrong and he didn't like it. But we went racing, and then between motos, you know, I said, well, what do you want to do? And he said, I just leave it. First, he (laughs) gave me a big list of what was wrong with it (laughs) and why he hated it so much. And then when I said, well, let's change, you know, what do you want to change? He said, just leave it because I know what it's going to do. Right. And that's kind of true. You know, it's mm-hmm. like he knew what it was going to do, so he didn't want to get any more surprises for second moto or something. Do you feel like more than ever, though, that I'm right about this talk about setup with the riders? Like, it seems insane the last five years. Just setup is the well, new. Is the again, new, it comes know. down to the resources of, of all the companies. We do have, you know, I mean, back yeah. 
in the day, you know, you showed up at the races. If you had two different offset triple clamps, you were the factory, <laughs> right? You know, right. and and now you get privateers that have that. Mm-hmm. But really, to me, looking at it from both uh, uh, the technician side and a rider side, I mean, I would hate to take off on a supercross and go head onto the track and go, this has got a different triple clamp offset. Right, right. You know, knowing how different something could be. Right. So, you know, it was like supercross in particular is so technically difficult from the rider's standpoint. And if you're changing something dramatic in how the bike reacts and stuff, you know, that's a little bit scary. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Unless the riders are so experienced that they know exactly what each change will do and they're making that choice in their mind that, oh, this will feel like this and that's what I want. Mm -hmm. But that comes back to what you said. They come back in and go, well, our setting was off. Yeah. Our setup (laughs) was off or something. But again, you know, to me it's like, it seems like there have been riders that don't change anything and just go out and win. And there's other guys that change everything under the sun and go out and win. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it comes down to the times, the modern times, where we have uh, so much resources to, to change stuff. Yeah, yeah, no, we do. You're right. I just feel like... Like, okay, so you went in the wrong direction. When you say, you you know, your setup wasn't riding, working well, and that's maybe why you didn't have the success on the track that you wanted to, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, you went with the fork that, uh, you know, had a little less uh, high-speed compression in it. You went and you changed um, a fork height, set height, and maybe you figure, maybe you monkeyed with offset. Those three things together, it's a it's a change, but it's not like the difference between winning and losing to me as a mechanic. I'm like, look, okay, maybe it wasn't perfect, but it's not causing you to not have success on this night for whatever reason. Yes, it's some change. That goes back to what I was saying about you know, we set the bike up for you. Now go show us how much talent you have. <laughs> right, right. How good a rider you are, what you can do with what we gave you. But it isn't like. We just go, okay, we just changed everything because based on what we think, go ride it. Yeah, yeah. It's never the case. That's never the case. It's always the rider taking them to uh, a specific setup. So the next time... Like I said, they need to include that. The setup (laughs) I chose (laughs) was off. Hey, so the next time I interview a guy and he says, you know, we were just off in my set and our setup, and I say to him, so what you're saying is you just don't have the talent to make this setup work. Can I tell them to call you? <laughs> no, you know, that again, that, that comes back to challenging their ability to overcome something yeah. wrong. But, again, mm-hmm. you know, they, you know, if, if the bike isn't right and they're searching for something, that's, you know, that's one thing and you never hit on it. But, mm-hmm. uh for them to take something that they want on it one week and then they go the next week with exactly the same setup and the track conditions may be a bit different, but I don't think they're going to, you know, they, 
unless you're going from deep sand to rock hard, hard pack. Right. You know, it's not going to make that much difference. That's kind of what I was saying, and Jason Thomas and I battle on these podcasts that we do, and we battle weekly. He comes from the rider point of view, and I come from a sane point of view, let's say. And uh, and I'm always <laughs> well, like, you know, everybody as a rider has ridden a bike that was horrible mm-hmm. uh, from the standpoint of how it was set up, but that isn't something you did. <laughs> right. Well, you're riding someone else's bike or something. You know, when a, when a guy does well and then his, his bike, he doesn't do well the next weekend and he says his setup is off, like in my mind – do the riders think that, like we said earlier, do, are, the, are the suspension clickers, are they going 20 out now? You know, like, like how far off are we? Like, what are they doing after a win? To me, if your rider has a good night, here's your bike, just like last week. Unless, of course, it's radically different track changes. But if we're talking about the same, same kind of track, I'm just going with what won the week before, you know? Anyways. Yeah. yeah. It, that's just, again, it, it's, when you give the rider too many options, they're gonna, you know, they're gonna use that mm-hmm. yeah. to their advantage <laughs> or right. disadvantage. Yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, where are we at on Air Forks? The last time we did this pod, uh, we talked a little. You talked a little bit about some of the challenges with Air Forks. Now, Reed's on a spring fork. I had McGrath on the Pulp Show a little while ago, and he explained that the the suspension people like yourself are really struggling with the fact that to hold them up in the whoops, to make them stiff enough to hold up in whoops, and then plush enough to feel it in the turns is the ultimate battle and why guys are battling with these air forks. What do you think? Have you yourself or the, the suspension technicians at KYB, have you guys learned a little more about air forks, or are they still sort of a divisive thing out there? Um, you know, uh, when, when the air forks first made a comeback, um, you know, I say a comeback because I was working with them in the 70s. Right. Uh, the, the same um, reasons they gave me for why they they stopped using them existed. But when I said, well, what about this? They kind of glossed over it. <laughs> but to be fair, uh, when we did a lot of testing, comparing them to, air, to spring fork, mm-hmm. I mean, more than often than not, the riders preferred him, and including Chad Reed when he first tried a uh, air fork. And I mean, he was he was, he was uh, with Shoah, it wasn't with KYB. I had heard that mm-hmm. he said, "Oh, there's something there that I really like." Mm-hmm. So, you know, even he felt the advantages of the the air fork, which is kind of gives a sensation of better traction. But, you know, an air spring does react different than a coil spring. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes there's some characteristics about it that some riders, especially riders that are older and <laughs> that have been riding on spring forks forever, will go, I'm not getting this feeling that I want. And mm-hmm. that's a coil spring feeling. You know, I, there's no arguing with that. Yeah, it's... If you don't like it, you're you're never going to like it, mm-hmm. or if you can't appreciate what it does. But most of the younger riders that have never ever experienced it will, in fact, choose a, an air for. Mm-hmm. And um, and as far as tuning them, it's like our fork is the KYB fork is relatively simple. The air 
the, the two elements of every component is the spring element and the damping element. Mm-hmm. And the KYB spring element is pretty simple. It's it's mm-hmm. uh, air spring and uh, used in uh, combination with a balanced spring, a negative spring, and that gives a linear character as long as the uh, balanced spring is engaged. Mm-hmm. And when it disengages, then the air goes uh, progressive. And finding the balance between air pressure, balance spring, combination with that air pressure, mm-hmm. uh, uh, air oil, you know, oil amounts, changing the, the volume of, of the uh, air space you're working with. Mm-hmm. Um, we're we're really not having any issues with that satisfying riders. You have to have a, a um, you know a, I'll say a selection of balance springs, but it's not like you need a thousand of them or anything. Right. It's you you just go up a little you know one ray. We have at KYB we have like I'll say four balance springs, and you know when you think about how many fork springs there are more than four <laughs> yeah yeah really right and those work in correlation with uh, the pressure and it isn't like if you're running 35 psi you use this balance spring it's like you use this balance spring and can use anywhere from 30 to 40 and then if you use, go to a stiffer balance spring the range is equally as wide um, but the ride it comes down to the rider's preference again and then again, how it works in combination with the dampening uh, you choose, and mm-hmm. you know the dampening is pretty infinite, really. And the difference between uh, some of the the different systems and companies, and even within KYB, the dampening systems are different between a spring fork and a and an air fork. Right, but. Um, that's not to say they work any different. It's they're working independently of each other. Right. Uh, but the combination is what gives you the final um, very, very setup. feeling. Yeah, the final feeling. They're yeah. setup. You just use the word setup again. Yeah. Damn, well, damn, <laughs> damn you, Ross. But see, that's what I'm saying. You <laughs> you choose it. It's like right, right. this pressure with this balance spring with this oil level. I mean, right. it, it isn't like. We're, we're making them choose among those three. It's, generally, <laughs> right. we, we test, you know, a balance spring, and that, that's one they want, and then we're playing with air pressure and damping setting. But it isn't like every lap they're stopping and saying, change this or change <laughs> right. that. Um, so to have guys like Chad and, and MC talk about the struggles of an air fork doesn't surprise you at all, does it? Just because of what they're uh, used to. No, what, because yeah. they're probably trying to get a spring characteristic out of an air right, fork, right. and they're not going to find it. Yeah, you know, so that's kind of my my take on the whole thing. So I think Chad feels that, and then he probably puts the spring fork on and goes, "Oh, there it is." But I but I lost this. Mm-hmm. I lost this new thing. But again, it, it comes down to the rider. They, you know, I always tell every every rider that. Things on a motocross bike suspension is always a compromise at one way or another. It's like, oh, it works really good here, but yeah. it suffered a little bit there. 
Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. What am I going to do? Deal with it. Thanks for listening to these podcasts, everybody. I appreciate it. This is Mathis. Hey, did you guys know that chances are the bike that's in your garage needs some sort of suspension work? I guarantee you, 74.3% of you listen to this either need your suspension oil changed, you need to get proper springs for your size or speed, or you need your bushings or your bushings are worn out or something is going on with your suspension. Don't neglect your suspension. Enjoy your ride. And the best way to do that is by sending it to the folks at Racetech. Racetech is the world's largest aftermarket uh, suspension mod company. They've been doing this stuff since for 30 years, people. They've been uh, in business. Of course, they've worked with some of the world's best riders. Right now, their each setup and product is 100% guaranteed. They're made in the USA. Vince Freeze uses Racetech suspension to get third overall in uh, last year's 250 E-Series. Cody Gilmore, Jimmy Dakotas, they're all on uh, Racetech suspension. It's privateer proven. They've offered a full line of Racetech high-performance springs. They're high-performance because they're extremely lightweight for the rates and feature the tightest tolerances in the industry. Pulp MX-15 saves you 20% at Racetech, Racetech.com. Vintage stuff also available. Anything to do with suspension, these guys can do it. Trust me, tune up your ride. You need it because you know it's been sitting in the garage. You haven't serviced it for a long time. Just do it. Use the code. Save yourself money. Thanks to Racetech for supporting all these podcasts. Do it. Racetech, do it. Uh, yeah, no, it's interesting for sure. Hey, it's a little, it's a little bit like the 1970s in the pits right now, in the sense that we have some suspension wars going on. You know, back in the day, you would bolt on, um, you know, aftermarket suspension to your to your bike and go racing, and, and and we didn't see that for many many years. Well, now we got, you know, a few years back, uh, Kawasaki went from KYB to Showa. Now we have Honda. Somehow, shockingly, uh, putting on KYBs, despite having an ownership in Showa, putting on KYBs on Trey Kennard's bike last summer. And sweet Jesus, the guy won like four out of the last six motos. Now he's won two Supercrosses this year with KYB stuff. Tomac switched, and he's happy. Cole Seeley at the Honda, he's still using um, uh, Showa and loves it. And basically a few other teams in the pits have switched Suspension. I think there's even in Europe you see some WP stuff on a Cowie. Um, so more than ever, we're getting a little bit of suspension companies battling it out. What's your take on this in the pits right now? Certainly a guy like you, you've been around forever. And so what do you, I mean, when Honda said, hey, we want to try KYB, did, did you just like think that, that, did you hang up on them, think it was a prank call? I mean, how did that go? Um, the, the actual, um, chronology or history of, of that change was in Japan, uh, Honda factory racing, um, I don't know if it's a policy, but they'll have, if they have three riders or something, they'll have two of them on Showa and one on KYB or mm-hmm. vice versa. And sometimes I, I wonder about that, if they're just trying to keep an eye on what everybody's doing or what. Um but Honda Factory in Japan was using KYB Air Forks since 2011. Uh, okay. At least one or two of their riders. Yeah, somebody, were. right? And um, and so uh, I guess Kennard was complaining or something about his suspension, and uh, the the word I got was that Honda contact 
American Honda contacted Japan and said, oh, we're struggling with, with Trey or whatever. And then, uh, I don't know if it was American Honda requesting it or right. Japan Honda ordering suggesting it, it <laughs> right. or suggesting it. Mm-hmm. But they basically sent last you know, in it was 2014, obviously, but right. they spent 2013 KYB Air Forks uh, and the rear shop for Trey to try, and he tried it and liked it, and so then I don't know how much political, you know, hoopla was involved right. or anything, but but we in America we caught word of it, and then it was like you got to you know. KYB was asked to go help set it up, mm-hmm. and uh, it really uh, it really wasn't like gut the thing and start all over again. He liked it right off the bat, yeah. And there was just a little bit of tuning involved, and then he started winning. So you know, I mean, it was. I think it was strictly a case of a rider preferring something Mm -hmm. and and when he finally got what he wanted uh, he just was able to perform at a whole new level i mean you want to talk about blowing a hole in my setup argument although that's a big change that's a big change but but there's no doubt you know that he yeah he reached a new level So you know he was happy and and it showed you know he Mm -hmm. went faster but um you know that was that's not you know, certainly we weren't saying, oh, look, we're way better than... <laughs> yeah. It wasn't a case like that because, you know, when Honda uh, did give the riders each a choice of what to do, uh, mm-hmm. um, uh, Trey and Eli picked KYB, mm-hmm. but Cole definitely chose Showa. So right, right. it was like, you know, okay, well... How do you argue with that? <laughs> right, know? right. You can't say, look what they've done on KYV. You should be, you know, if you didn't like it, great. Yeah. You know, it's, everybody's different. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny because talking to Dan, Dan Bentley at, at Honda, I asked him how that's going, and he's like, well, we give them their space. The KYB guy works out of this truck. The Shoah guy works out of that truck. So, like, there's still that rivalry there, you know what I mean? And obviously, uh, yeah, you, you but know. see, in Honda's, uh, defense, that's, if you really think about it, that's a pretty good way of creating competition between yeah. mm-hmm. the makers. And it's like, you know, you're going to get their best shot. Yeah. You know, you're going to get each each uh, company's best effort. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it really Honda's kind of always been kind of like that because I remember we used to, out of the blue, just go, Honda wants to test KYB for production back in, you know, 88 or yeah. something. And I would go, why, you know, why are they doing that? You know, and then mm-hmm. KYB would pull out all the stops and, <laughs> and give them something new. And I'd go, like, why are we giving them this? You know, but really that's the, that's the... Uh, Competition of it, yeah. Uh, yeah, that, and that—that's the what do you call it? The golden ticket is a is a production contract. Right, that's where you make right. your money. Mm-hmm. So if you know you can get get a production contract from Honda or Yamaha or whatever, that's 
that's what's paying the bill. So right. that's what you go after. And and, and and to be fair, too, Honda put KYB on production bikes along with Showa on one model for a few years, uh-huh. and I you know, for more than a few years. And Cowie does that now. So. Yeah. Um, but it, it it's, uh, I mean, you want to talk about flicking a switch. Trey Kennard went from a fourth, fifth place guy to, I mean, here's where you toot your own horn, Ross, uh, yeah. K, the KYB horn. You know, he goes from that to just a, a new guy. So that's, that's pretty amazing. Wow. You know, again, it's like it was it was him. It wasn't like, you know, I'm not, I can't take any credit for that. He, he did it. And uh, the KYB guys came up with the technology for it. It wasn't like, right. you know, someone came in and, and, and did something and that made all the difference in the world. It was definitely him clicking with those components. And so, like I said, when they came here, they did a little bit of fine tuning, but it wasn't like, you know, we completely gutted them and started all over. Right. Yeah. Uh, the KYB guys just kind of massaged what was there. And, you know, and since then, for sure, they've, they've done a lot of testing and, and probably trained a great, you know, changed a great deal. So for sure, for Supercross, because, mm-hmm. you know, that was a difference between outdoor and indoor settings. But, uh, it, you know, it's it it, it is, remains what it is. It's a KYB mm. Air Force right. and uh, and shock. You know, so there they have differences in in show components, and there's just something there that he he liked. I mean, there's certainly other riders that would have picked the other way, but maybe they wouldn't have won the last four motos. <laughs> <laughs> How much different is Trey stuff? And you obviously don't get into specifics, or you can get into as much specifics as you want. How much different is Trey stuff from, say, Josh Hill stuff, or someone on that level? How much difference is it? Uh, you know, there are some upgrade features mm-hmm. to the the factory components that are are good, but it's not like the difference between a power valve motor and a non-power valve <laughs> right, motor. Right, right, right. It's not, certainly nothing like that, but uh, it's, you know, they're, they're, KYB has always uh, put kind of the highest level technology into production, you know, in my opinion, almost too quickly. Mm-hmm. But uh, because then we'll, we'll, we'll get to a point where it's like, well, we need something better. Mm-hmm. And it's like there isn't. You know, this factory has some upper hand yeah. on what we're using in production. I mean, there is, but not not dramatic, you know, like in the old days. Right, right. It's like, well, you know, they need performance, then throw this on, you know. <laughs> yeah, 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 here we go. It's not like that right. anymore. Oh, you want the magic shock. Oh. Yeah. Or, you know, it isn't like, oh, they can't stop. Well, put these discs. <laughs> right, right, right. It's nothing like that. Um, how do you decide yourself, uh, Enzo, uh, the suspension company that you've uh, built up and made famous? You have a lot of, uh, you know, really good racers in the pits using your stuff, using KYB, using Enzo suspension. Do you have to turn some guys away? How do you determine? You know, I mean, how, well, because I mean, man, you got you and your guys got to be staying pretty busy, like. There is a ton of servicing going on for these pro racers running your stuff, but 
obviously there's some sort of part where you got to say, "Hey, I just can't, I can't help you." Um, you know, there there were uh, with the um, what should I say? Oh yeah, the, the, the new Yamaha's coming out, and and the Yamaha all of a sudden being a. a a really good bike that a lot of privateers wanted to use. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there there is uh, a big um, uh, demand for mm-hmm. guys that were riding the Yamaha that wanted uh, support from us. Right. But, it, you know, it used to be at the beginning of the year, I would always think, okay, we're going to help this team and that team, and that's it. Right. And then I would think, man, we're not going to have to do much. Mm-hmm. And then it never failed by, <laughs> you know, the time racing started, we were helping way too many people. Well, you're and, you're a pretty nice guy, too. Like, you are you know, you're not one of those guys to shut people down. Uh, you know, a lot of guys were my friends, and I couldn't say no to them. But right. the bottom line is you can go, you know, guys will say, come on, help me, help me. And I'll go, you know, I... We can't. We can't. We just don't have the manpower mm-hmm. and resources. We can't do it. And they're all, oh, come on, come on. And I'm like, look, if we do it, we're not going to be able to help you in the pits, or we, we might not be able to rebuild your stuff right. when you need it. Yeah. I don't care. <laughs> I, I, want, I want you to do it. And then when the day comes when right. we're not at the races or something, they're the first ones to scream the loudest. Right. You're trying to you're trying to talk them out of it. Look, okay, I can't be there to rebuild it. That's fine. Look, we're not going to put any oil in. That's fine. Look, <laughs> yeah, I just do it. Right, just and, do you it. You know, and that happens. But uh, uh, you know, I I try not to get in over my head, and I have in the past. Mm-hmm. But you know, it always seems to work out. I always wonder because, like, obviously, you have your job with KYB. You have this uh, great business going. And then, like, a guy like Josh Hill, just picking him randomly, um, you know, he's going to need some testing days. He's going to need your time. You know, you can't do it over the phone. You can't sort of guess it. You you need to be at the track with him. And so I don't know how you do it, how you stretch yourself out like that. Well, I had, the thing is when Larry Brooks called me and told me about the thing with Josh, I was like, oh, man. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I was kind of um, – I, I was not upset, but mm-hmm. I was thinking like this is going to have to happen. Is uh, when I when I got injured, uh, Josh came to the hospital and he he bought me like some expensive video game that I didn't even know how to play. <laughs> and that's and awesome. Yeah. The, the ironic thing was. I never even got to play it. Some little life stole it out of my hospital room oh. before I ever got to play it. But I just thought, you know, this guy mm-hmm. went out and bought this for me. Right. You know, and, and when I, you think about it, it's like, well, what do I want that for? I wasn't a video game player, but to him, it was like, I'll get this for Ross because I would really want to <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right. kill, you know, and yeah. it, it was, it, it, it really kind of touched me that mm-hmm. we went those extremes. So I just thought, you know, I'm going to help this guy no matter what. That's cool. And, yeah. And, uh, you know, so it, 
it wasn't something that I had to be, they had to like hold a knife to my throat or anything to do. I kind of agreed to do it, even though I knew it was going to be some work. Um, and, 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 you know, and, and vice versa, he knew going into it, getting this late a start, it's not going to be easy. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Right. Um, how much, when you have a set of show that's coming into the, into the shop to, to fix, uh, to revalve to, or if maybe you're doing some race team show stuff, I'm not even sure. I, I, I can't think of anybody at the top of my head, but, um, can you, can you talk to someone at Shoa or is that just forget it? I mean, can you say, Hey, uh, I got a question or, or is that just, you figure it out on your own? Um, you know, it's like, I know, I know a few people at Shoa and stuff like that, but I would never call them and say, you know, how do I do this? It, it's more like, you know, what's going on with this part or, you know, mm-hmm. is this available or something like that? Okay. And, yeah. You know, they're, they're helpful. Oh, good. Okay. Like, yeah. So they, they have the phone. Yeah. So that's what like I mean. That. Like, like they have it, your, your phone line traced and it buzzes. <laughs> they're like, it's Ross. No, <laughs> nothing like that. But you know, the, the, the other thing is, uh, obviously it's pretty impractical to run a suspension shop and only work on one brand. Yeah. So yeah, we do work on it, but in as far as supporting any racing guys, um, you know, Will Decker, is mostly doing all the show stuff, and there's a the odd uh, privateer here and there that would right. we help out, but certainly not at the level that we do the KYB stuff. Right. Uh, I'm not going to keep you for much longer. I've already kept you longer than I thought, so I apologize. Um, show uh, Andrew Short running a WP Airshock. Sweet Jesus, Ross, is this coming? Is this Airshock? Are we entering an Airshock world here uh, from Show KYB anytime soon? Uh, I, you know, the thing is, after running an air, air forks for three years now, um, and seeing how the public accepts them, my personal opinion that I've voiced to KYB was that, uh, air suspension isn't really suitable for the public because it, although it has a wide range of adjustments, the public seems to be incapable or unwilling to maintain it. And it <laughs> is a very high maintenance system. Mm-hmm. You have to keep an eye on the, on the air. And if you have a failure, you have to fix it right away. Right. Um, <clears throat> they, I remember when I first questioned, the, you know, whether we should do it or not, I said, you know, the, parent, the customer isn't going to check their air pressure. And they go, well, they have to check their tire pressure. Mm-hmm. And I said, they don't do that either. <laughs> nope. You know, I said, yeah. these guys go to the starting line with five PSI in their tires. And I then agree. they get a flat and go, oh, I got a flat. Yeah, I agree. You know, yeah. that could have been avoided by checking their tire pressure. But, you know, probably 80% of guys don't do that. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. Maybe not in professional racing, but certainly in the consumer mm-hmm. population <laughs> yeah. you know these guys they just want to ride they don't want to mess with right. that yeah, absolutely yeah so in, in your and opinion so yeah shocks in that in that respect i say is it in the future maybe it's going to depend on each manufacturer it, it depends on the manufacturer uh uh meaning um yamaha kawasaki not 
show or KYB. Right. Uh, if if the manufacturer pushes for it, mm-hmm. the the suspension companies will make it. Right. But it's it it comes down to them, you know, because they're the ones that are going to get they're going to take the brunt if it doesn't sell or something right. like that. Yeah. Can you? But, uh, um, the thing is about the forks is, as far as KYB, the pressures are pretty low. But an air shock, it will obviously it's gonna, the pressures are going to be much higher. Right. And the danger of losing pressure or whatever is is going to be there. And uh, I look, I think back in like in the seventies and eighties, well seventies. Mm-hmm. When we were when the uh, Fox Airshock was a real big seller, right. and those were dual high pressure components, and I don't remember those things blowing out and having failures. But if you bought them, if you went out and bought them, you certainly were prepared to maintain them. And so that's the big difference. You weren't; it wasn't forced on you. Right. It didn't come stock on the yeah. bike. Yeah, you were. A high per- <laughs> yeah, you were a high performance rider looking for a, for a you know a better mm-hmm. better thing. And uh, the interesting thing about the white power um, WP shock. No, we, we don't I, say we can't say white power anymore. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's what it. I always think. I know. Does, Me too. I do it all. I, the, I do it all the time. I met the guys that started the company, and, and I, I met them in when I was in Austria, and then they go, yes, we are going to make springs first, mm-hmm. and they're white, and we're going to call them white power springs, and I went, oh, that's not such a good idea, and I explained it to them, and they were like, really? <laughs> I said, that's kind of racist, and in America, that's like, yeah. you know, has a whole different meaning, and they were like, <laughs> kind of shocked, but obviously not enough to... To stop it, right. Yeah. Know, but, but the thing was, um, years and years ago, I want to say, God, it had to have been like, well, it doesn't seem that long now, but it was probably in the probably 2005 or something like that. I was, I, I was, uh, riding during the week. I used to go out and ride during the week all the time uh, in the morning before going into work. And I would use the excuse that I was testing something. <laughs> I just of course. To go riding. And I was riding at Elsnor, uh, track, which at the time used to go through spells of being, really popular and right. being really unpopular based on how much uh, track prep. Because <laughs> yeah. when they didn't prep, it was pretty horrible. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but I was out there riding one. It was like a weekday. And uh, there was virtually like three people at the track. It was me and my friend and some other guy. And I was riding around, and I went around this corner way in the back, of the track, and there was a, a guy standing there on the inside of the corner, and he wasn't a flagman or something, he was just a guy standing there, and when I rode by, I I looked up at him, and I just thought, that guy looks like George Joe Bay, <laughs> right. the Belgian world yeah. champion, yeah. and uh, every lap I'd go by, 
I go, it really looks like that. <laughs> George, what's George Jobayan doing in Elsinore? Yeah, but what would he be doing at Elsinore on a, you know, a Tuesday or something <laughs> right. like that? Right. And so finally I stopped and I, and I went, George. And he goes, hi. <laughs> <laughs> and then I took my helmet off and he goes, oh, hi. Hi, Ross. I mean, like, yeah. I hadn't seen the guy in probably three years right, or something. Right. He just acted like, oh, there you are. Yeah, yeah, of and course. so I go, what are you doing out here? And he said, well, I'm in California right now because I'm working uh, with KTM and on, on an air shock. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? Yeah. And then he, he kind of went into explaining some of the features of it. And, you know, I was, it was pretty interesting, uh, but that was the last I heard of it, you right. know, and then he died later, but, yeah. um, when it did show up, when Dungey was using it, I go, that's gotta be that shock that, yeah. that George was talking about. Now, I don't know how much of a hand he had in developing it or what, but mm-hmm. that was, a long time before it ever saw the light of day. Yeah, yeah, a long time ago, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and so, you know, I wonder if it was something completely different, but I tend to think, no, it probably was in its infancy back then. Yeah, yeah, especially, you know, George had strong ties to KTM because I think he ran a KTM team for a while or something. Mm-hmm. It had something to do with the KTM team over there. Um, yeah. Well, hey, thanks for uh, thanks for doing the uh, BTOSports.com RacerX podcast presented by Fox Racing. Ross Maeda, always a good time. Um, if people want to go listen, I think this is our third or fourth one. Go back in the archives, search Ross's name, and uh, he tells stories about following Roger DeCoster in 1980. He tells us some Bob Hanna stories versus Keys Vandervin in Florida Winter Series. Uh, Ross, you've also told some rollerball stories in these other podcasts. <laughs> So some epic, epic stories back then. The Hannah Vandervin one is is really good. <laughs> Where you're like Bob, it doesn't matter. You don't, you don't have to beat this guy, but Bob really, really did. <laughs> so, um, and uh, and thanks for everything. People can check out EnzoRacing.com on the internet. Uh, if they need some uh, some suspension work, and uh, like I said, one of my favorite guys in the pits. Thanks for taking the time to do this, Ross. I appreciate it. No problem. My pleasure. All right. See ya. Bye bye. This has been the BTOSports.com podcast show presented by Fox Racing. Don't forget to check out some of our past shows, including motocross legends such as The Bad Boy, Rick Johnson. I looked down and my hand was junk. I mean, yeah. it was sitting over to the side. The tendons were jerking in weird places. And my biggest disappointment with Danny Sorbic is that he never said sorry. Because Danny and I were friends, and we've never talked since. Brian Lunis. Before the 500 event, Dave and I fly to Germany, go down to Stuttgart. There's this little shop out the back of the mall factory. We get our cylinders, take them back, and, you know, off we go. And, you know, we ran Nicosil Cylinders as a factory part for a handful of years before anybody ever saw it in production. Dave Arnold. And, and Magoo was all, you know how he did the big pancake thing? Right, and right. and he's got the thing, he's completely laying on the gas tank trying to miss his tree. I mean, he would have gone 
even harder, jump farther if that tree hadn't been, you know, yeah. if, it, if it hadn't been there. The Hurricane Bob Hanna. I love the guy. I don't dislike. I think he's the greatest competitor this sport ever had. That absolutely 100% in my mind. I firmly believe that statement I said about these modern-day guys in Switzerland or Holland or Belgium on 45 minutes on the same bike. You're not beating Roger. Are you crazy? Right. They're not doing it. If they think they're so much better nowadays than they were in those days, they're fools. They're different bikes, different times. The Beast from the East, Damon Bradshaw. It got to the point where I didn't want to leave home. And once I got to the race, I wasn't into it. If I wasn't going to give 100%, I'm not going to take their money. The working class hero, Doug Henry. It was definitely an emotional moment for me, just thinking to myself, that's it, you know, and it's, it's amazing the stuff that goes through your head in a short amount of time of the things that, you know, that I was going to miss. The daughter, Ron Machine. Until you really open your ears and you want to listen to what they're saying, it's like beating a dead horse. I mean, and I know from personal experience, did anybody ever sit me down? Of course they did. Everybody did. Pro Circuits, Mitch Payton. There's two ways to make the money. One is you can sign for money, or two, you can earn the money. I'm a high believer in earning the money. I think they ride better when they earn the money. Seven-time Jeremy McGrath. I was so mad, like so disappointed and so frustrated that I had pulled pit and I left. Every point counts. I could kick myself to this day for not just riding around in tents. It's been no problem. My, my ego got in the way, you know? The O Show, Johnny O'Mara. Stuff that you could, you'd sit there if you didn't even want to ride it, you just wanted to just look at it all day. I mean, I got a chance to test all that. I like that era I was in. I really do. Search Pulp MX in the iTunes store to enjoy these and over 500 more great motocross podcasts. The days and the months and the years go.